Welcome back, my friends. Today, we will be studying the eighth section of Pedic Lamed Zayin, the 37th chapter of Tanya. And this remarkable, very long, yet deeply insightful chapter of Tanya is really charting the course of our life for us. If you are looking in your Sefer HaTanya, in the original print, we would be on page 96. That's in the Vilna print, page 96. That's Daf Memches Ahmed Beis. And we are about halfway down the page, slightly above halfway down the page. The line begins with the words, Ubaze Yuvan. We have discussed at great length the ultimate mission and purpose for each and every one of us. We talked about transforming the world, elevating the world, so that it becomes a place that reflects the presence of the Creator rather than conceals it. And we talked about this notion that each and every one of us plays a role in putting this global peace puzzle together. And the Altareba went on to describe how not only do we elevate the physicality, the materiality of the world around us, but in fact, our own corporeal reality, which includes not only our plasma, bone, sinew, and flesh, but also the nefesh hachayunis, the part of our soul which animates our body. We've learned that the spark of godliness, which is the essence of our soul, as the Alter Rebbe explains very early on in this book, an actual piece of God, that actual piece of God which exists for eternity, which can never die or can never atrophy, which never really gets old and certainly never fades away or decomposes, isn't capable of powering a physical body. There needs to be a mamutza, a nexus. There needs to be like kind of like an in-between reality, something which is not tangible or physical or material, but at the same time not wholly godly or spiritual. We call it nefesh achayunis, the vital soul, or the vitalizing element of our soul. And that is somewhat physical or somewhat material in the sense that when a person does pass, when the body and soul do separate, eventually that nefesh achayunis slowly unravels and it forms kind of like a, a cloud or a halo, like a shechina, like a presence above the grave and remains ever tethered to the materiality that once housed the soul. So, so that nefesh does actually unravel. And that nefesh is created for the sole purpose of powering the body, the physicality, the material element of who we are during our sojourn on earth. That too needs to be elevated. That too can be redirected. It organically does not sense or feel the presence of the Creator, but can be brought into tandem with Avodas Hashem Yisbarach, with the service of God, and thereby it can begin to reflect a deeper godly truth that undergirds all of reality. I've essentially recapped so that you can appreciate where we're going to head at this point. I hope many of you have joined by now. And like I said, we're in the middle of page 96, Tafim Chesamad Beis. 
with everything that we have said, the Alta Rebbe will explain that statements that our sages made, which remained somewhat enigmatic, or at least didn't resonate fully with meaning, will now become clear. Now the book of Tanya was not written to illuminate cryptic Talmudic statements. But when you have a fresh, new, mystical and profound understanding of life, and you can take that understanding, take that view, and go back and look at things our sages said, all of a sudden, the words of the Gemara resonate with such clarity. <laughs> they begin to illuminate almost in full color. You know, there's this idea that when one learns Chassidus, when one learns the mystical dimension of Torah, it not only changes your perspective in so, insofar as that you can look at life in a mystical way, it changes the way you look at life. And it changes the way you view, understand, and appreciate Nigla, the revealed and exoteric aspects of Torah as well. A Hasidish Alamdan, one who is punctuated with mystical understanding and with spiritual appreciation of the deeper truths of Torah, sees the Gemara in an entirely different light, different light as well. And truth be told, everything in Torah, all the various facets and dimensions of Torah all come together to form a single picture. It's, it's a single panorama that we're seeing. And the truth that the Alter Rebbe is revealing to us through the prism of Torah Sabal Shem Tev, is not separate or disparate from the words of the Gemara. That's what our sages meant. Come along and let's see. In view of everything that we've learned, in view of the notion that the tachlis, that the ultimate mission and the purpose for Neshama's descent into this world is in the words of Hasidus Levarer Ulahaleis Likdusha, to redirect, to sublimate, to elevate into a profound sense of holiness, and holiness means an awareness of God, our Creator. We talked about transforming our corporeal reality, our bodies. We talked about elevating, we talked about illuminating our material dimension of our soul, the Nefshach Yunus. And this is inextricably linked to Chelkeinu Ba'ilam, to our portion of the world. For each and every one of us was given a specific mission, a specific mandate of elevating and transforming a small part of Hashem's incredible world of the universe. Now we will understand what our sages said, the terminology that our sages used to extol and really almost, it seems on the surface, to exaggerate the value of tzedakah. The word hafloga is a terminology which denotes extraordinary liberty or to to really vastly expand something's value, to overemphasize. I didn't mean the word exaggerate, chas v'shalom, in, in an untrue way, God forbid, which is how sometimes that's understood in English. When people exaggerate things, they're ascribing inordinate importance or meaning to something that really doesn't have that meaning or importance. But when the chachamu and maflik 
when they came along and emphasized, seemingly overemphasizing, placing tremendous emphasis, tremendous weight. And the Alter Rebbe uses the word very twice here. And this is meaningful. He says, Our sages emphasized the importance of tzedakah, the virtue of tzedakah, very much, exceedingly, most exceedingly. And they said, that it's equal to all of the mitzvahs of the Torah. Now, in truth, there are many mitzvahs that are placed on pedestals and seem to have overemphasis, exaggerated, in a true way, importance, that we're attributing somehow greater meaning, a greater impact to these mitzvahs. For example, the Gemara in Adarim and says that the mitzvah of tzedakah is shkula, is equal to all of the mitzvahs. And that's explained as with the notion that through tzedakah we can be reminded of all the mitzvahs. The very same tractate of Gemara on page 32 says that mila, that the mitzvah of our circumcision, the brit mila, sealed onto the male members of Am Yisrael's flesh, is shkula, is equal to all of the mitzvahs. And there's much to say about that. And much profundity that's attached to that statement, but that's not what the Altareb is talking about now. The Yerushalmi says that the observance of Shabbat is equal to all the mitzvahs. But the al is talking about tzedakah now. And he's talking about a, a, a statement which is made in Mesechet Bava Basra, in the statement of the Gemara on page 9. The statement is, Amr Rabbi Asi, Rabbi Asi taught, Shkula tzedakah connected kol mitzvahs The word shakul comes organically from the terminology of weight. The mitzvah of tzedakah carries weight that is equal to the volume or mass of all the other mitzvahs. Shenemar, because it's stated, and here the Pasuk, the Gemara reaches for a Pasuk, for a verse that comes from the book of mitzvahs. He placed upon us mitzvahs, and it doesn't say a mitzvah, it's referring to tzedakah, the mitzvah of charitable giving, which is mistranslated as charity because charity means somebody's a charity case, so you're being nice, as the Rebbe emphasized multiple times. The mitzvah of tzedakah in Hebrew comes from its root. The word tzedek means right, and tzedakah means to do what is right. It's right that if you have more and somebody has less, that you should share what you have. That's the right thing to do. In fact, that's why Hashem gave you more. So tzedakah, it says, is he placed upon us mitzvot, now it doesn't say mitzvah, it says mitzvot. And because that's Lashen Rabbim, it's plural, from here the Gemara des- derives that it's shackled, that it's equally weighty, like all the other mitzvahs. Mitzvah, it says Eng Khan, doesn't say Hashem placed a mitzvah upon us, he says mitzvot. And mitzvot are understood to reflect the plurality of all the mitzvot. Now I have to tell you, that uh, there's, there's commentary on this. And the commentaries actually are searching for meaning because the statement seems to be an exaggeration in the, what you would call, less than true way. It doesn't, it doesn't seem to be an authentic statement. I mean, it's, it's a mitzvah. It's an important mitzvah. How could it be equal to all the mitzvahs? So for example, the Marsha says that we know Later on in this very same Masechet, on the next page it says, Kol ha-maylim min a person who ignores the needy or needs 
that come to you, that present themselves before you, and you, you know, hear no evil, see no evil, replace that with hear no needs, see no needs. I don't know why anybody might even have a problem. But you know the truth. You're my Lamayan. You chose to look the other way. You chose not to help. You chose not to be of assistance. So it says, the Gemara says, it's ki'ilu evid avedis kechavim. That would be akin to worshiping a pagan idol. So the Marsha says, in Meseches Hadeus, the Gemara there talks about the sin of worshiping an idol, a foreign deity, ascribing divinity to something other than God, believing that something other than God is the cause for your misfortune or success. The Gemara in Hadeus says, that's Kechala Mitzvahs. That's equal to abandoning all of the mitzvahs. So therefore, the Masha uses some very fancy footwork here. He says, because the idea of ignoring a charitable need is like Aved and because elsewhere the Talmud speaks of Aved alien worship, as being shkula, equal to all the mitzvahs, because of all this, so then I can come to the conclusion that if Aved is weighty, or equal to all the mitzvahs. And ignoring a charitable need is like Avedazara. So then it must be that the mitzvah of tzedakah would also be shakul, would also be equal to all of the mitzvahs. Now, that's not exactly straightforward. It's, uh, I'm not going to call it sophistry, but it is not a straightforward emphasis. It doesn't really resonate with tremendous meaning. So, oh yeah, well, of course. Obviously, doing an act of tzedakah is like doing all of the mitzvahs. How so? How is an act of tzedakah, like for example, kindling Shabbat candles or observing the Holy Shabbat, how would that be akin to placing a mezuzah on your doorpost? How would that be like the mitzvah of studying Torah? Or how would that be like the mitzvah of consuming matzah on the night of Pesach? I don't know. I mean, this is a, the marshal uses fancy footwork, but it doesn't really answer the question per se. The marshal also says, that Hashem promises that if you give tzedakah, that on the Pasuk, on the Mishle, that says, which is found in Mishle, chapter 19, verse 17, that it says, it indicates that when somebody loans or gives to the poor, Hashem will repay. So the Masha says, aha, so if you give tzedakah, who guarantees that? Hashem guarantees that. Ah, but you don't want to give tzedakah. Why wouldn't a person want to give tzedakah? Why should I give my hard money away? It's my money. Is that what are you talking about? It may be your money, but Hashem promises He's going to repay you. And say, yeah, that's nice. Yeah, on cloud nine, it's nice. I live in the real world, okay? And in the real world, my money is my money, and I'd like to keep it that way. And I have a bank account, and I write you a check, my bank account is lighter, and I'd like to lose weight for my girth, but not on my bank account. No, 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 God's going to pay you back. I say, yeah, yeah, God's going to pay me back. You don't believe God's going to pay you back? You don't believe Hashem when He says, you give tzedakah, He'll ensure the money comes back to you. Uh-oh. Marshals, that's kekefer b'kadosh baruch It's as if you're a meider belehei chesef ezov. It's as if you start worshipping money. <laughs> yeah, people talk about this proverbial idol of gold and silver. It's the idol of money. People worship money. 
Somebody has money, they give him esteem and respect. People think they have a chance of making money. All of a sudden, they're ready to worship that. Look what's going on in this whole COVID situation. People avoid the shul like the plague, but they're out there making money. Something doesn't smell right. Somehow, worshiping money is coming before worshiping God. That's idolatry. All right. So the marshal, again, is using some fancy footwork. He's leaning on a pasuk in Mishlei. He's kind of now taking the next logical step. So if, if Hashem promises us through the pro proverbial proverbs that you will be repaid and you're not giving because you don't exactly believe you see your banking can get lighter but don't see how you're getting repaid, so then you're kafir by Kaddish It's as if you're worshiping idols. Again, not exactly a straightforward, simple explanation of how tzedakah equals all the mitzvahs. There is a other explanation that Pardish Yasef says that the mitzvah of tzedakah, the Gemara says it's because the pasuk, because the verse is Lashon Rabbim, because the verse is plural. So the Pardish Yasef says, so why isn't it just like two mitzvahs? <laughs> Maybe it's just telling you that doing one mitzvah of tzedakah is like doing two mitzvahs. It's a fair question. The Pardish Yasef's answer is that the language mitzvahs indicates all the mitzvahs, not just more than one. But really, until the Alter Rebbe came along, you cannot say that this Pasuk, that, or, or that this idea in the Gemara resonated with tremendous meaning. It was uh, what we call Adrasha, a homily. How did one decidedly non-Hasidic fellow tell me, it's Ke'ilu, it's like, it's not really, don't take it too seriously. I said, what do you mean, it says in Torah? Yeah, it says in Torah, but you know, it's, it's like, it's a euphemism. But our Chachamim didn't just use words. They made a very serious statement. They said, Shkula connected kolam mitzvahs. Now, I want to remind you that the Alter Rebbe chose to illustrate the haflaga, the extraordinary importance that our sages ascribe to this with the word ma'oid, ma'oid. Exceedingly, very exceedingly. He uses the word ma'oid twice. So this, this will come into play, and I, I will, we will come back to this, but please put it on your back burner. So the Alter Rebbe says, all these things that I just presented to you as seeming questions, they fade away. They dissipate like a, like a cloud on a stormy day when the sun comes out. When you understand everything we've understood up until this point, it becomes so clear. How so? Well, before we go further, the Alter Rebbe is going to emphasize yet another detail. He says, what he, said, what he said first was from the Talmud Bavli. The Babylonian Talmud is usually the way we rule the halacha, and so that receives precedence, although on many, many ways the Talmud Yerushalmi is held on a higher pedestal. But bringing things down into the concrete, we lean on the Bavli. The, Talmud, the Babylonian Talmud has the discussion, it's filled with analysis, and the questioning, and the cross-examination, and therefore that's said to be more of a direct actualization of these lofty principles. Whereas the Talmud Yerushalmi is, it's like the lights are on. You know, it's been metaphorized that when you learn a piece of Gemara, it's like walking into a room that's dark and you try to figure, try to figure things out. So you try to figure things out and think about the bookshelf behind me. If the lights were off, it would take you a while to figure out that that's a bookshelf, not a window or maybe a door. You'd have to have seen books before so if you only held on to the outer frames and you didn't actually reach in, 
you wouldn't realize that those are books or then reach further realize that there's a, a wall in the back. It's not impossible to figure this out, but it's a lot easier if lights are on. And you say, oh, that's a bookshelf. I don't have to feel. I don't have to wonder. I didn't have to attempt. It's obvious. Talmud Yerushalmi is when things are obvious, when things are clear. This is called in the syntax of, you call it the mystical jargon. There's something called Ur Yoshar and Ur Choyzer. Or, of course, is light. So, Ur Choyzer means reflective light. Let's think of a periscope. In order for me to see what's not on my natural line of vision, I can use a series of mirrors, and that enables me to see a reflection of a reflection of something that's not in my natural line of vision. So that's when things come to us circuitously, proverbially speaking, not physically seeing, but you can see it in your mind's eye when you go through the cross-examination, the analysis, the various questions, the false starts, the false conclusions that you disprove until you finally come to the conclusion and now the picture is clear. So that's called Urchoyzer, reflective light. And then there's Oryasha. Oryasha is when you see it. It's in your natural line of vision. These are things that we would speak of in the English language as being obvious. It didn't require any sleuthing. There was no deeper searching or seeking to be able to come to the conclusion. It was obvious. The Talmud Yerushalmi, the Jerusalem Talmud, the sages of Israel, they were living in a higher place. They benefited from a loftier level of consciousness. To them, Torah truisms were obvious. But Babylon, or Galut, is metaphorized with the words that are taken from Lamentations, Hashem placed us in darkness. Now, the truth is, things that are obvious are oftentimes not appreciated. When you need to work to come to a conclusion, when you toil to figure something out, invariably you, you have a deeper appreciation for that conclusion, it'll remain with you, and somehow that vision is clearer to you. Clearer to you because, because you work to get it. And that's why the Talmud Bavli is how the halacha gets ruled, because it wasn't obvious. We had to work to come to that conclusion. This does not take away from the virtue of Talmud Yerushalmi. At a Fabrengen in the summer of 1981, in honor of the Rebbe's father, Silula, the Rebbe talked about the fact that the Alta Rebbe mentions Talmud Yerushalmi. And he says that in Talmud Yerushalmi, the Alta Rebbe says, He nikreis b'shem mitzvah. Stam. The word mitzvah in Talmud Yerushalmi if it's not elaborated on, if it's not explained, the word mitzvah means tzedakah. That was the way they spoke. In Eretz Yisrael, in the land which reflects the presence of the Creator in a much more natural way. As Moshe Rabbeinu told the Jewish people, when you will go into Eretz Yisrael, you will see that it is not like the land of Egypt that you left. The land of Egypt achieves prosperity by virtue of the Nile Delta. It's essentially part of Africa. It's a desert. There isn't a lot of rainfall. You're always looking down. The Egyptians worshiped the Nile River. 
The Pharaoh deluded himself into thinking that he was a god because the rivers were tributaries of the Nile rose to greet him. And everybody believed him because of that. And sadly, that was the blessing of Yaakov, meant to help him appreciate the mission that God had placed upon him, I mean the Pharaoh, to provide sustenance for people far beyond the reach of the orbit of his government. But instead, instead, the Pharaoh took it to mean that he was a god, a demigod. And so the Egyptians were always looking down. And because they were looking down, they worshipped the Nile River. They worshipped the source of their prosperity. But Moshe Rabbeinu says, My dear Yidin, the generation that left Mitzrayim has now passed on and you are about to enter the land of Israel. And there you will see, rain is not something you can count on. <laughs> but Israel doesn't have a Nile River either. We have a river, Yarden. I mean, it's basically a creek these days by North American and European standards. <laughs> it's not much of a river. Whether it was much more of a river antiquity is anybody's guess. How does Israel live? Ah, Israel lives limtar hashamayim tishte. The land drinks from the rain that comes from heaven. And when the rain or precipitation is what moistens and makes your soil fertile, people are ever raising their eyes heavenward. You have to raise your eyes to heaven. It reminds you there's a God in heaven. God is not any more in the domain of heaven than he is on earth, but, but it seems to us that God is It's a euphemism. It's the way we see things. But perception is reality. And so when you're ever raising your eyes heavenward, you're more deeply aware of the presence of God. As a very secular political leader for the Jewish people, Israel's first prime minister, David Ben-Gurion, when asked if he believed in miracles, he kind of shrugged and said, no, <laughs> just rely on them. In Israel, you have to rely on miracles. And Ben-Gurion, for all that he was a very secular Jew, was a Jew who openly spoke about the presence of God. There's a video floating around the internet of an interview with him when he's asked about his proverbial atheism and he laughs and says, what do you think, I don't believe there's a God? <laughs> he, think, he says, in Israel, is it possible to believe there's no, of course there's a God. What he may not have believed in properly was the notion that God values our mitzvahs, proverbially needs our mitzvahs that every single mitzvah makes this world a more godly place. That requires a leap of faith, that there is a God, that God has placed Israel in a position of global destiny. That's so obvious. So Talmud Yerushalmi is the place that reflects higher truisms more naturally. In the Talmud Yerushalmi, it doesn't say that tzedakah is equal to all the mitzvahs. In the Talmud Yerushalmi, this truth was so apparent that when they would use the terminology mitzvah without qualifying which mitzvah they meant, they meant the mitzvah of tzedakah. In fact, hergel haloshen, it was their way, they were accustomed. Likre tzedakah, b'shem mitzvah stam, that's how they called tzedakah. Tzedakah was called mitzvah. And the Rebbe, that Fabrengen, he mentioned that it was 37 years from the Hilula, the earthly passing of the Rebbe's father, the Holy Rebbe Levi Yitzchak, and he said that it's interesting to note that it's chapter 37 of Tanya. I'm just 
I'm mentioning that parenthetically. But the, the Rebbe, at that occasion, explained the Talmud Yerushalmi is that it's Ur Yashar, and there's the truth becomes even more apparent. So the Alta Rebbe begins by quoting the statement which is made in Talmud Bavli for obvious reasons, but then augments that by emphasizing that in the Talmud Yerushalmi, this statement is made with even more profundity. Not only it's equal to the mitzvahs, that's how they called mitzvahs. And in that way, it's very different from the mitzvah of tzitzis, or mila, or shabbat, because none of those are just called mitzvah. Now this really should have piqued our curiosity. By now, you should be scratching your head and looking at me and saying, okay, okay, <laughs> what is the answer? How is it that the mitzvah of tzedakah is so virtuous, so extraordinary, so unique, that it's somehow in the, not only in the view, but in the verbiage of the sages of Eretz Yisrael, who saw holiness in the most natural and clear of ways, referred to mitzvah, generically, as tzedakah, or tzedakah as mitzvah. So the biurapnimi, the mystical, the spiritual, the answer that Hasidus offers us in meaning, the way Hasidus illuminates the truth of Torah. You'll allow me, you'll indulge me for one more moment. I've shared this with you so many times, but it's so beautiful. And in case you haven't heard it, let me share it just one more time. The Friedrich Rebbe, on one occasion, is in a Parisian hotel. He's in the lobby. He's waiting for his ride. And the man walks over and says, You're the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Yeah, the Friedrich Rebbe acknowledges. He says, I have a question. And this bothers me very much. Why did the world need Hasidus? What does Hasidus accomplish? Well, we're not observant Jews before Hasidus came along. And he peppered the Rebbe with numerous comments like this. And the Friedrich Rebbe began to point out the finer architectural details of this ornate, beautiful Parisian structure. The arches, the Baroque columns, you know, beautiful architecture. A hotel lobby in Paris. And the man says, Rebbe, with all due respect, you're changing the subject on me. I, I asked you a question, a real question. I, I didn't need you to point out the finery of the architecture of this, this room. And the Rebbe says, I, I am answering your question. Did you notice these details before I pointed them out to you? And the man had to admit that he had not noticed those details. And the Rebbe said, that's the point. Hasidus points out and illuminates and reveals all of the things that were always there. But nobody ever noticed. As the Vridic Rebbe said on another occasion, Chassidus is oil. Chassidus is light. And light reveals. Light reveals not by removing covers or doing away with obfuscation. Light reveals simply by illuminating. By shining a light on something that was previously obscured or previously in a dark corner or previously not noticed, suddenly everything comes to life. So Chassidus is the prism through which we view the entirety of Torah in high definition. As the Rebbe famously illustrates in the Kuntras in Yonah Shal Chassidus, where he explains what Chassidus is, he says that many people mistakenly think Chassidus is Soid, Chassidus is Kabbalah. 
But the truth is that chassidus is not pshat. It is not a remez. It is not the literal, some straightforward meaning. It is not the illusionary ideas that are hinted at in Torah. It is not the notion of drush of homily, which fill us with a sense of emotional appreciation and inspire us. It is not so. It is not Kabbalah. Chassidus is the echida, is the essential intrinsic light, the moir shebeteira. It is the luminary of teira. And when you learn Chassidus, the pshat is a different pshat because now it's illuminated and the remez is a different remez. It's alluding to things, but now you see that remez in totally different fashion. When you learn Chassidus, the drush is able to ignite and light your soul on fire. And the Kabbalah suddenly is illuminated in a way that reflects everyday life instead of esoteric heavenly truths. And so the Pirush HaPnimi when Chassidus explains to us what is a mitzvah, the purpose for creation, how and why we were placed here, and what we are trying to accomplish by observing the dictates and the dictums of Yiddishkeit, when all of this is illuminated by Chassidus, the Hainu, that is to say, that when we understand that all mitzvahs share a common denominator, although the mitzvahs on the surface seem to be disparate and addressing different facets, different issues. One mitzvah comes to remind us of the presence of Hashem when we enter our homes and when we leave our homes. As the Kolbe writes that the mezuzah is, has the name Shindaladud Shoimer Dos Yisrael. Not only watches and guards our doors, but it proverbially serves to guard our faith. That the mitzvah of tzitzis reminds us there are strings attached and of course Everybody knows men need to be reminded. That's why they have forget-me-nots. A woman, okay. So they have to wear tzitzis. And the Gemara goes on to talk about a person who had a lapse, the temporary uh, forgetfulness of who he was and how he should live. And he was in a, let's just say, severely spiritually compromised position and removing his clothes to do something very inappropriate and sinful, the tzitzis flew in his face and reminded him that there are many strings attached. Various mitzvahs come with the variety of focus, but all of the mitzvahs, all of the mitzvahs, from the things we kindle to we eat to wear, to do, all of the mitzvahs were designed to elevate the material world which ultimately means to elevate our physicality. And our physicality, when it is directed in a holy purpose, means that we're elevating the animal soul, the vital soul, as we've explained at length in the previous parts of this chapter of Tanya. His Alta Rebbe now pulls together and stitches this idea tightly so that you can see it right now in, in your palm. Bipnei Shehi, the reason that tzedakah is equal to all mitzvahs, the reason that our sages in Talmud Yerushalmi saw mitzvah, when they saw the word mitzvah, they saw the word, the idea, and the ideal and virtue of tzedakah, Bipnei Shehi, because the mitzvah of tzedakah is ikar ha-mitzvahs. It is the essence, it is the ikar. It is oila al-kulona. Its virtue towers above and rises higher than all the others. Why? Why is it the ikr? Why is it the essence of every mitzvah? Why does it tower above all others? And we'll come back to this double terminology in a moment. Shekulon herak lahales nefesh hachiyunus lahashem. Because all mitzvahs came with a singular purpose. 
despite the fact that the mitzvahs are complex and unique and variegated, all of the mitzvahs really come with a single purpose. And the single purpose is to elevate, to uplift the nefesh achiyunis, the vital soul to Hashem. Shehi, for that nefesh achiyunis, he hamikayemes isa. Without the vital soul, you couldn't do a mitzvah. A neshama can't light a Shabbat candle. A neshama can't affix a mitzvah and certainly can't eat matzah or wrapped filling. A neshama is higher than all of these things. The neshama that lives on for eternity in Gan Eden is not capable of doing any of those mitzvahs. But the neshama, when it is linked to a vital soul, when it metamorphoses into and it evolves into a nefesh achayunis, and that nefesh achayunis is fused into a corporeal bodily reality, which is capable of influencing of actually dominating the body reality and causing the body to do the mitzvah as the Shulchan Aruch ordains it to be precisely and exactly the will of Hashem to carry out the will of Hashem so it is Misla Beshes Bahen then it becomes enclosed it becomes enmeshed within this mitzvah the performance of that mitzvah and then and then the Nefshach the vital soul and then the body that has been influenced, directed to perform the mitzvah, and ultimately the materiality with which the mitzvah is being done, all of it is redirected, all of it is now uplifted, to become absorbed into the infinite energy, the vitalizing energy of everything, which is godliness. Eden save Baruch the infinite, infinite light of God, and that's just a euphemism, we don't even know what infinity means because we can only conceive affinity. But that which is beyond what our, our, we can wrap our heads around, the infinite, infinite light of God, who hamalubish behen, that infinity, that essence of divinity is malubish, is, if you will, clothed or expressed behen in the mitzvahs, because the mitzvahs are the Ratzon Hashem. So the main thing of a mitzvah is to elevate this world. And when this world is elevated and redirected and sublimated and used for a holy purpose, what happens? Then we're denting the darkness. Then all of a sudden the natural obfuscation which Hashem encoded into the strata of existence becomes less dense. It starts to become more see-through, more pellucid. It starts to reflect the light of the Creator and even though you and I can't see this, it's happening as we speak. And when Mashiach will come in a moment, suddenly, trillions and trillions of details will suddenly come to sharp focus, to lock into the precise and perfect reality. The new world that will be revealed as a result of everything that's been done since the time the Torah was given and especially since we were driven into our exilic displacement, since we went into Golos. And it will all happen so naturally. So that's what every mitzvah does. And because that's what every mitzvah is about, every mitzvah is about birur, every mitzvah is about halal, every mitzvah is about refinement. Refinement means that when there is raw material, the raw material has to be worked over in order for us to refine it. Think of a, a, a gruff, rough piece of leather that has to be worked over until it becomes soft and supple so that it can serve the purpose that you want it to. Think about the, 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 the ore, the raw gold ore that comes out of the ground that requires an enormous amount of smelting and through tremendous heat, toxins are vaporized and are removed. And then the gold is revealed. 
Think about the gasoline that comes out of the ground that will destroy any engine it's placed into because it's filled with silt and sand and tar and garbage and all kinds of toxic elements that have to be burned off. But when it's all burned off, then you have clean fuel, clean fuel that's able to power all kinds of things, bring about lots of good activities. So all of this, my dear friends, is metaphor for mitzvah. That's what mitzvahs are about. So why is tzedakah more itself than any other? We still haven't explained that. Explains the Alter Rebbe now. And with the mitzvah of tzedakah, the mitzvah of tzedakah which is performed with money or with valuables, there is no mitzvah that the animal soul becomes so caught up within, so enmeshed within. Why? I'll tell you why, my friends. Because because in every mitzvah, Every mitzvah addresses a specific arena, a specific area of a person's corporeality or the ability that a person has to do something in this world. So for example, if your mitzvah now is to light Shabbat candles, or maybe to light a menorah on Hanukkah, what's required is a match or a source of light. And there's a moment, a very small amount of physical energy that's exerted in the striking of a match or pressing of a lighter really is not very much. And that small amount of strength results in a candle and you have to move your hand towards the candle and then the Shabbat candles are lit. And then they burn on their own. What was the mitzvah? The mitzvah was the kindling, the igniting of the Shabbat candle. It doesn't take that much to light a Shabbat candle. Putting on tefillin is a, another mitzvah. And you know, you actually have to tighten the film. You have to be ukshartam. You have to actually tie it onto your hand. So when I put on film with people, I am obligated in the mitzvah of film. They are obligated in the mitzvah of film. I can become their shliach. I become their agent and I, as I tighten that film. But my children, my boys, were putting on film and helping people because they saw me do this before their bar mitzvah. And I told them that when they would put on film with people, they should get the major, the Jew who is after bar mitzvah, to at least tighten the tefillin themselves because they as ketanim, as minors, are not obligated in the mitzvah and therefore they can't be a shliach. They can't be the power of attorney to tighten the tefillin for somebody else. I said, the, the wrapping is a wrapping. So there's a moment of tightening which fulfills the biblical mitzvah of ukshartam. And then there's a wrapping. How much energy does it take? Do you have to be in great shape to put on tefillin? You could be pretty sick. You have to be very sick not to be able to wrap tefillin by yourself. So it's a small amount of energy. Now, walking to Shul of the Shabbat, that takes more energy. That's, that's something that requires, that requires greater effort. Verbalizing my prayers? Sometimes I have no koyach to speak. I hear people say, I'm too tired to speak. Before Pesach, when I was arranging the sale of chametz, I spoke to one of my colleagues, sent me a text message. Somebody sent on his behalf, can you arrange the sale for me? Can I include the, my people? I said, of course. And um, he texted me a question. I said, let's talk. And whoever was texting on his behalf said, I'm too sick to talk. He, he was suffering from coronavirus at the time. He must have been a lot sicker than I was because I don't remember being too sick to talk. Maybe I was. And he couldn't talk. Okay. So if you're really weak and sick, you can't even talk. 
But you don't have to be in fantastic shape to be able to talk, to hold a little of an etrog. How difficult is that? You need to have a little bit of strength. You need to be in somewhat healthy shape to eat the matzah. But as I illustrated, all these mitzvahs require really a minimal amount of strength. However, the Alter Rebbe says, and all the mitzvahs performed in Mislavishvem, there isn't enclosed or mesh within it. There is but one force, one of the, the, the power of the animal soul as it influences and drives the physical body at the time of performance of that mitzvah. However, when it comes to the mitzvah of tzedakah, but tzedakah, a person is essentially giving from the toil of his hands. That's a phrase, a biblical phrase. Says the Alter Rebbe, the mitzvah of tzedakah is not the lifting of a dollar and giving it to somebody. But rather, when you're giving away the tzedakah, you're giving away something that you toiled for. Harikol koyach nafsheach all the force of energy that you expended over making that money. That was a mesh that was, so to speak, enclosed in the actions that you did in order to earn that money. Or whatever else it was, whether you're performing menial labor or you're a professional. That you earned this money with. So when you earned this money, you worked really hard on earning that money. And therefore, the giving of the money is almost like you will the conclusion of all the hard work you did. All the effort you expended was in order to get paid. So what happens if a person works really hard and doesn't get paid? They say, hey, that was a waste. <laughs> the whole purpose of the working was to be able to finally earn the money. If you didn't earn the money, what was the point? So all the effort that was made in order to find the earn the money, which is the climax, and then you took that and gave it away. Now the Gemara says, with regard to a fascinating story about the mayor and his wife, Bruria, that they used to give tzedakah in a secretive way. They don't want people to be robbed of their dignity, so they would drop food packages off quietly at night. And once somebody decided he wants to know who his benefactor is, and he chased the mayor and Bruria. And there was these large ovens at the edge of town, and they jumped into the ovens so as not to embarrass. And the Gemara says, from here we learn that in order not to embarrass somebody, one has to be ready even to be incinerated. The Gemara actually derives that from Tamar, who was ready to be burnt rather than shame Yehuda. At any rate, the Gemara says the ovens, of course, no longer had fire in them. There was just what's called in Torah language remets, just some embers on the bottom. The mayor's feet, feet blistered, but Bruria miraculously did not experience any blisters on her feet. So the Gemara queries, why is it that a mayor who is a big tzaddik and a great Torah scholar, why he didn't have the merit of that protection? And the answer, the explanation of the Gemara is that a mayor would only give money. But Bruria, somebody stopped in the house, would actually give food. So let's, let's think about that for a moment. In the old days, in the old days, what would be brought home? You didn't go to the store and bring home a bag of flour. What would be brought home was grain. And the grain had to be ground. And the flour had to be milled. And then it had to be sifted. And then it had to be kneaded. And it had to be shaped and baked. And what's 
the purpose of doing all those things. So that you actually get a loaf of bread. So Beruya would work so hard, as it was in those days, and then give the bread away to somebody else. Because they were needy. So that means that all the toil and effort, the grinding, the milling, the sifting, the kneading, the baking, labor-intensive things, all were given away to somebody else. So it wasn't just a piece of bread that she gave away. She gave away her effort. And so it is also with the money. Although the mayor only gave money and you can't eat a dollar. <laughs> you know, those Hanukkah, those, those little chocolate coins. We once gave one of our children on Hanukkah. Gave, uh, gave her a, a, a toonie or a loonie. And the first thing she did was put it in her mouth. No, 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 don't do that, don't do that. Why? Because that's what she thought money is. Children don't understand what money is. They'd much rather have shiny nickels than rusty quarters. But when you get older, you understand that the value, the virtue of money is not in the money itself, but in its buying power. It's because money has possibilities. As they say in Yiddish, mit Geld was With money, you can do anything. They tell a silly story of a fellow who came to his mother after Neil Armstrong landed and walked on the moon in great excitement, told his mother about that, and she asked, how much was it? How much did it cost NASA? And he said, trillions of dollars. She said, no, for some money, what can't you do? The truth is the money represents buying power. The mayor's sedaka was deficient because all he gave the person was the ability to purchase food to keep body and soul together, or maybe raiment to keep him warm. But Bruyer gave the food directly. But the point is not whether or not the food was given directly or somebody had to go and buy the food after. The point is that when you give away the money, you're giving away everything that went into the money because the money is just the climax. It's just the conclusion of a whole long process of earning the money. You don't give your money, you give your earnings. And in doing so, you give all the toil you expended. You're actually giving that away. Now, it's true some mitzvahs cost money, but you really own something when you have a mitzvah, whether you own a beautiful pair of tefillin, so you didn't give it away, you own a beautiful mezuzah, or you ate the matzah. When you gave the money, when you gave the food away, you gave it away. You have nothing in hand. You have nothing to proverbially show for it, or don't get to actually enjoy it. Now, this includes, of course, more than just the actual toil of money. People go crazy for money. People spend their very lives getting money. There's a beautiful poem that was written by one of the great medieval scholars, one of the Spanish Rishonim, who said, Adam doyeg al ibud domov. People have such anxiety and worry about the loss of a few dollars. The eni doyeg al ibud yomov. But he doesn't worry or have anxiety that time which is passing by. And he went on to say, Yomov enom chayzim. The time you lose never comes back. The domov enom chayzim, but the money you made doesn't help. So why do people have such heartache and anxiety about the loss of money, which doesn't help anyway, but are not concerned with the loss or the wasting of time. Today, we have so many ways to waste time. Social media, mass media, 
all things that can divert our attention. I was talking to somebody recently and he told me he has so much anxiety. He's worried about the elections and he's worried about COVID and he's worried about this, that, and the other thing. And Rabbi Yassi, you said to him, we were having this conversation, he said to him, you watch too much television, mister. You're on Facebook all day. What are you looking at all that for? I said to him, tell me, after a whole month of watching all this, he says, don't I don't watch this, I watch that, I, I don't watch fake news, I watch real news. I said, what's the difference? Real news, fake news, it's all fake. I said, after a whole month of watching all the news and looking at all of the news reports and following every tweet and every post, I said, a whole month later, what do you have to show for it? You can boil it down into a sentence. Think about it. The headlines, the headlines, and then all of the articles that follow. And all of the mumbo-jumbo that's written. How many words will actually end up in a history textbook in 50 years from now, in 25 years from now? Three sentences? Four sentences? Tens of thousands of words will come to a few sentences. That's all. But people are wasting time. The time that could be spent studying Torah. The time that could be spent deepening our appreciation of life and its deeper meaning. The time that could be spent performing mitzvahs and helping others. The time that could be spent uplifting others. Is st instead is spent filling oneself with anxiety for which you have nothing to show other, other than big gaping holes in your life and the loss of time which you'll never come back. You'll never have again. And people spend so much time and so much anxiety and worry over money. I once read somewhere that people lose their health making money and then spend the rest of the money trying to regain their health. People ruin relationships. People lose the opportunity to spend time with their children when they're young making money. I'm doing it for you, honey, they say. I'm doing it for you guys. I once talked to somebody who was never home for his children, making money. And he said to me, don't they understand I'm making the money for them? And I said to them, what do you mean you're making it for them? He said, what am I going to leave them? I said, how about a good name? How about good memories? How about value, mission, meaning, and purpose in life? How about leaving that for them? I said, the money you leave them, they're just going to fight over. It's pointless. We spend our life pursuing money it's innate, it's natural. We want the power, the ability to do as we please. And we spend so much time getting the power and ability to do as we please, we forget to actually do as we please. But that's the nature of money. Money's always funny. It drives people crazy. So when a person actually can lift themselves out of that insanity, and the money that drives them crazy, the money for which they spent their time and their health, the money for which they spoiled their relationships and their delight, the money that they gave everything away to make, and you take that money and give it away to somebody else. Not because they deserve it, not because they earned it, not because they're worthy, but because Hashem in His Torah says it's the right thing to do. Not because it makes you feel good. Maybe it will make you feel good. Usually it does, but maybe it won't. Is not the point. The point is it's the right thing to do. It's a mitzvah. So when you do the mitzvah of tzedakah, you didn't just elevate your animal soul in the moment that it took to force yourself to sign the check or swipe your card or give the money. When you gave the money away, you have invested or elevated now everything that it took to make the money. You gave your earnings away. So you invested all the energy in making that earning and just now elevated it, lifted it. 
But as the Rebbe says elsewhere, you're supposed to give a fifth tzedakah. When you pull one finger up, the whole hand rises. So a person who spends their life making money, but then with that money becomes a major benefactor and gives transformational benefactions, actually has not become somebody who spent their life making money, but somebody who spent their life bringing about transformation. Quite literally. And that is how money can buy happiness. And that's how money can become the greatest source of blessing and benison in our lives if we actually use it for the right reason. If we actually put it to the disposal of the performance of the mitzvah of tzedakah. That a person gives with a toil. He invested every ounce of energy and wherewithal in making that money. And therefore, like the Alter Rebbe says, and he gets a kredish he says that sometimes shalei there is it's e efshar he says impossible shalei asik bam paomim rabes that it's impossible that somebody who earns a living who makes money in any way shape or form at some point or even oftentimes has not invested every ounce of himself every ounce of wherewithal ability in making that money it has totally captured his attention he's oblivious to all else and it reaches into the deepest recesses of his or her soul. That's, the Rebbe says, it's just the way people are when it comes to business and making money. You know, it's very interesting, the Gemara tells us that if a person doesn't pay the wages to somebody exactly when they're... So when a person doesn't pay wages on time, which is, by the way, a violation of the Torah, so with regard to this mitzvah, it says, ki onihu, He's impoverished. He's desperate. And our sages say to Rashi, he quotes this, he says the person, he walked up somewhere onto a construction platform. He risked his life to make that money. How could you not pay the money on time? But this is, of course, the point. The point is that people risk their lives to make the money. And therefore, when you're giving that tzedakah, then the entirety of your existence becomes elevated and purposeful. All your business now is meaningful. Now you have business being in business. Now there's a purpose to the money you're making. It's not just about self-pleasure. It's not just about providing for your loved ones. It's about serving Hashem. There is no greater act of servitude, subservience, devotion to Hashem than giving your hard-earned earnings, your hard-won profit to somebody who's needy because it's a mitzvah. Of course, you're going to say not everybody works hard for their money. Some people got their money somehow easily. They got lucky. They made a little investment. And all of a sudden they have dividends that are paying off. Some people received endowments. Some people got inheritances. Some people didn't work hard for the money. says, A person who doesn't actually benefit from hard work. And he calls that a benefit. Because it is, there's a certain wholesomeness in earning your own money, working hard. But because, because with a few bucks you can actually keep body and soul together. 
This is the power, the buying power, the ability that money has. With guilt, kemen altstun. With a few bucks, everything can be accomplished. We know this or think this to be true. And we see it every day. So when I'm giving my money away, I'm giving the power to be able to do as I please or so I think. So when a person is giving that money, he's actually giving away his life, his wherewithal, his ability, his koyach, his talent. He's giving that all to HaKadosh Baruch so why does it say twice? It says, Ma'oid, Ma'oid. Two times Ma'oid. In the Lukut Biurim, it says that corresponds to the notion that it's Ikara Mitzvah, that it's the primary Mitzvah, and it's Eila Kulana. So one of the explanations that's given, that's spoken about Echsidus is, that everything is comprised of quantity and quality. There is, my friends, a quantitative edge in tzedakah. Because when you do a mitzvah, you engage only that moment, only that ability that's being used. So it's a mitzvah that's about verbiage, like reading the Shema, it's the ability to speak. When it's a mitzvah of Ahavas Hashem, it's a mitzvah, the ability to emote or to feel a sense of love. When it's a mitzvah of lighting the Shabbat candles or putting on the tzedakah or fixing the mezuzah, it's the amount of physical force that's engaged in that mitzvah. But when I'm giving of my earnings... I used, I used my mind, I used my heart, I used my feet, I used my hands, I used every ounce of koyach in order to be able to earn that money, you know? So when I gave the money away to Tzedakah, all of that was elevated. All of that was redirected for a holy and sacred purpose. Because earning one's money involves so many facets. You had to sell, you had to speak, you had to run. You utilized your body language. You were engaged and involved. You were pursuing this with all your might. And because of that, quantitatively, the act of tzedakah incorporates so many different parts of our bodily function. And qualitatively, ah, the quality is because you put your soul into it. It's so important to you. Even if you didn't work hard for it, you're ready to kill for it. People do every day. Have you heard the expression, that person is such a cutthroat, they'll sell their mother for a dollar. It's an expression. But it's reflective of a sad truth of how people are when it comes to money. The Gemara tells us that if you want to know who somebody really is, there are three litmus tests. Bikisoy is the first. Touch him in the pocketbook in his wallet, and you'll find out exactly who this person is. The other, by the way, is Bekoisoy, in his cup. Keep, keep giving him to drink. You'll find out who this person is eventually. And lastly, Bekasoy, when a person loses their cool, becomes enraged or angered about something. That's when the facades fall away. That's when the truth becomes revealed. Sometimes beautiful truths sometimes hideous truths. So we can cover, we can, you can use lots of cover-up. You can have many, many facades or personas you assume. But the first thing that cuts through all of that obfuscation, all of that elegant presentation, the kisoy, hit them in the pocketbook. So people invest every ounce of their energy in trying to make that money. And therefore, the giving of tzedakah has a quantitative edge and a qualitative edge. That's the ma'oid, ma'oid, the very, very. And that's the, what the Altar Rebbe said, ikr ha-mitzvah, 
because mitzvahs are about elevating the physicality. Here, you've elevated so many facets of physicality. Think about the things, the, the amount of mechanisms, platforms, opportunities that people use in the course of a day when they're earning their living. And then oila kolano, it towers above, meaning it is so much more deep, so much more profound, so much more essential when it evolves, giving you very money away. You know what, it's interesting, that's why it says, the Gemara tells us, Hashem you should love Hashem your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, means with all of your wherewithal, all of your means. The Gemara says, with all of your money, because people invest every ounce of wherewithal in making money. So money can buy happiness if only you do the right thing with the money that you earn or have. And that's why the Alter Rebbe says, now we understand another statement. The Gemara makes it a little bit further on in the Gemara. On page 10, the Gemara goes ahead and says, that tzedakah is mekareves es hagiyula. The Gemara goes on to extol the various virtues of tzedakah. And the Gemara says, Tanya Rebbe Yehuda, Eimer Rebbe Yehuda said, G'dayla tzedakah. Tzedakah is greater. Why? Shemekareves es hagiyula. For it brings the redemption closer. Shanemar, as it says, Keomar Hashem Shimru Mishpat. Hashem says through his Navi Yeshayo in the 56th chapter of those illuminating and elevating redemptive prophecies. Keep Mishpat. Watch the Mishpat Va and Dutsudaka. Ki Kraiva Yeshuasi love because my salvation is at hand. Vitsit Kasi and my Tzedakah Galis. So how did we understand this before the Alter Rebbe explains it in Peter Klamatzayim? Before the Alter Rebbe shines the powerful spotlight of the Balshemtov's teachings on this. How do we understand it? Where the Marsha says that Hashem will do with us Tzedakah. You act charitably. You act kindly and help somebody else out of their problems. Hashem will help us out of our issues and our problems. He'll do Tzedakah with us. Or as the Marsha says, that the idea of Yeshua is Hashem's response to us. Al-Tarebbe says, the whole idea of redemption, the whole idea of actualizing the future, that's what every mitzvah is about. And how do mitzvahs contribute towards tomorrow? Because every time I do a mitzvah, I am redeeming yet another iota of material physical existence. Because by redirecting the material world, ultimately this is how we bring redemption. This is how we transform the world. It is tzedakah more so than any other that contributes because tzedakah brings about the most of elevation. Collectively, the money you earned involved so much koyach, so much strength you invested. Because when you gave, you gave of the money that you worked so hard for or that you care so deeply about. And so qualitatively, when you give that away, you're actually elevating the deepest and profoundest essence of your material existence. Nobody kills for money in heaven. You can't take money to heaven. This feeling, this sentiment is only to be found in our terrestrial lifetimes. But when you can overcome your natural or organic concerns, selfish concerns, and become selfless in giving, then that enables you to elevate the corporeal, organic, and terrestrial reality 
that was waiting for us to elevate it through every mitzvah we perform. So really and truly, there is no mitzvah that has such force, that packs such a punch as the mitzvah of giving tzedakah. Because with one dollar, one tzedakah, you're able to elevate so much of your terrestrial, physical, material life and existence. You would never be able to do this. All of the things that are being done in the range, in the kaleidoscope of so many other mitzvahs because the other mitzvahs only address a specific element, a particular dimension. Whereas the mitzvah of tzedakah, all of you is invested. And this, my dear friends, explains to us why tzedakah is equal to all the mitzvahs. It explains to us why the illuminated sages, the sages whose eyes saw with such clarity of Yerushalayim, why they would use the word mitzvah to describe tzedakah. It explains to us why the Bavli the Gemara said that this mitzvah is greater for it accelerates the process of universal redemption. And so now we have, once you understand the reason and the purpose for creation, once you understand and appreciate how every mitzvah we do is a direct contribution towards that bringing about the Dira B'tachtainim, now we understand how and why our sages extolled the virtues of tzedakah in such an extraordinary way. And how it becomes, if you will, the poster child for everything we're trying to do within the rubric of mitzvah actions taken. And with this, my friends, we really conclude. We conclude something that we started already in the 35th chapter of Tanya, which is emphasizing the virtue of actions, mitzvah actions. That mitzvah actions tower above the sentiments of heart, or the thoughts and consciousness in our minds, or even sometimes the words that we utter, verbalize, or articulate because, because the action elevates the material and the physical more so than anything else. And that's really how we bring about Mashiach and perfect Hashem's creation. But this we conclude the eighth installment of Pedic Lamed Zayin. But this brings us to a tremendous question. The question is, if the action of mitzvah is so powerful, so powerful that tzedakah, which becomes the most extraordinary embodiment of action, is the greatest of mitzvahs, why are we the people of the book? Why do we value the virtue of Torah study? Why is it that our sages said that Torah study is better than really all else? Why is it that we place such emphasis on the sacred sentiment of heart and mind. So to answer these questions, and to be able to understand how we balance everything we've learned with Judaism's traditional emphasis, our lionizing of the, the, the study of Torah, the importance of our cerebral and our conscious connection to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you'll have to join me, Bezrat Hashem, for our next session. That, that's what part nine will be about the superlatives of study. Thank you.